This is Encourage the Good. Hello again. Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem. He has come to a place he has only heard of but recognises as his ancestral home. Where does he begin this new chapter? What challenge does he face first? Where does he begin? I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. It is very informative to watch how Nehemiah goes about things in this new season. First of all, he catches his breath. He does not do anything for three days. Rest and reset are important. The whole idea of recreation is being recreated in the image of God. God has ordained rhythms of rest and work, night and day, sleep and activity. You may know the story of the church elder who asks his minister why he never takes a day off and doesn't take any holiday. The minister replies, The devil is always at work, so I need to be fully present and engaged. The elder listened to this, and then quietly asked, Why are you modelling your ministry on the devil rather than on the Lord? Secondly, he explores the ground. He needs to see for himself what the situation is. He goes at night so he is not observed or interrupted. We get a detailed description of where he goes, the different sections of the wall and the gates. This is missiology. He seeks to understand the context and the nature of the challenge. 
when I went to New Zealand, I determined that I was not going to say anything publicly about the future until I had an understanding of the present. When I came to Canada, people were asking me from early on, when are you going to tell us what your vision is and what your plans are? I was clear that I needed to explore, to see for myself and understand how much was broken. I'd been told there was a need for change, but I wanted to understand the finances, the systems, the culture and the state of the mission. I talked and listened to staff, volunteers, students and supporters. I visited each of the camps in every province from Newfoundland to British Columbia. I did not just intend to import what I had seen and done in New Zealand or Scotland or other places in the world. Often we do not take the time to look, listen and try to understand. Often we do not take the time to look listen and try to understand. So we become pragmatic, led by resources and programs and repeating what we know and believe will work. The problem is that this misses the importance of cultural contextualization. Thirdly, he casts vision. Nehemiah has had in his heart what God wants him to do, but he has kept it to himself. He does not share the vision publicly until after he has made his exploration. In verse 11, I had not told anyone. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. But then he speaks to the crowd. Probably a bit of anticipation has built up. Nehemiah shares a couple of things. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God in me and what the king had said to me. He underlines the problem. The listeners understand the trouble. They live it every day. They see the ruins and the burned gates. What is new information is the call to rebuild and the testimony to the gracious hand of God and the support of the king. It's not hard to diagnose problems. Solutions are harder to develop and the articulation of vision precedes a plan. Both problems and solutions are in the hands of God and his sovereign power. Fourthly, Nehemiah calls to action. The call to action is an invitation. Come, let us rebuild the walls. Interestingly, it is the people who respond. They replied, let us start rebuilding. God lays out the challenge and the opportunity. Leaders can articulate that in a company, in a church, in a community, but we do not have the power to make people participate. It has to happen in their hearts and minds. So the vision that has started in Nehemiah's heart is confirmed by the response of the people. It would be nice to tell people what to do, but we are called into God's service, not ordered into it. 
This is one of the central paradoxes of Christian leadership. We are dependent on the Lord. Ultimately, it is his work with his people for his glory. Nehemiah has a part to play, but it is the people who begin this good work. Fifthly, he faces ridicule and prepares for battle. The quickening of the work results in an escalation of the opposition. When Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed. What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? We have already heard about two of these people, but a third has now joined the party. They ridicule Nehemiah and question his authority. They provide a different narrative. This is a rebellion against the king. Nehemiah does not counter the accusation with his papers from the king. He answers them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Nehemiah puts them in their place and counters their narrative with a story of his own. Confidence in God and in his people rest on a narrative that centre on what God is doing in history. Whether we contend with the world, the flesh or the devil, the currency of the opposition is inevitably lies. Lies are countered with truth. Ultimately, God's truth prevails. Nehemiah is clear that this early attempt to derail the work will not succeed. Rebuilding will start. He publicly refutes their challenge and affirms that this is going to happen. It is a marker of confidence. In every great work of God, there are three stages. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. The earth will be filled with the glory of God. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. But the Bible looks forward not ultimately to the restoration of Jerusalem, but to a new Jerusalem. Revelation 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. We know how the story ends, and that has to shape the confidence we have, no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in at the time.
So the challenge in this for me is how do I understand the context and the challenges that God has called us to address? And how do I reframe the leadership opportunities and opposition in that wider context of what God is doing in history and what God will do as he has promised?